Hey there, Margie Bryce here bringing you the Krabby Pastor Podcast. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised to know that it's too easy today to become the Krabby Pastor. Our time together will give you food for thought to help you be the ministry leader fully surrendered to God's purposes and living into whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there. So we're talking about sustainability in ministry. I sat down recently with Reverend Dr. Dan Boone, president at Trevecca Nazarene University, and we chatted about a lot of things. First off, we chatted about pastoral ministry and the challenges, and that will be on another episode. But this episode includes talk about preaching today. So I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. As somebody said to me, and because I attended Nazarene Theological, that I had been trained by one of the best preachers in, in the Nazarene denomination. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I, I could see it <laughs> for sure. I really appreciate that. But they were extolling, I think, the training that I had. At, and then, you know, it's what I do with it from there on, right? <laughs> You're on your own. But what would you say to today's preachers about what biblical preaching is and what it is not? I think biblical preaching is examining the bad news of the world in which we're living so um, carefully that we are able to understand that the, in the same way that the characters of our biblical story were in trouble, that people are in that same trouble today. So I think it begins by being students of the bad news side of the equation of culture. And we, we have to be we have to exegete culture and our congregation and our city. We have to exegete not only individual sin, but corporate sin. We, we have to see what the fallenness of humankind is doing to people in the world that we live in until we can talk about that so articulately that the people in our pews are going to give us a nod of recognition. They're going to they're gonna look back at us and they're going to say, yes. You are telling the truth. Now, I'm not talking about a finger-wagging, judgmental, negative, holier-than-thou. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about standing in the middle of the brokenness of the world and describing that with a heart that breaks for the people of this world until the people who are, until the people who are hearing us preaching are saying, you really understand where I have to live. You understand mm, yeah. the impact of the world that I live in. I think that's the first piece of it. The second piece of it is then you have to make, be able to make a transition to say, there is good news in the house of God for us today because God not only cares about that, but God has invaded that. God is present in the middle of all that mess in the person of Jesus Christ. And here is the good news of, what, of how Jesus changes humans, how Jesus delivers us from addictions and patterns and habits, how Jesus confronts the dark powers of the world. Here is the good news. And therefore, we have the 
we have the capacity through this model Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit that we experience so personally, we have the capacity to live in this world as the people of God and know the joy and effectiveness and service and all of that. I think the gospel preacher is the person who knows knows how to stand in the biblical story and interpret it into the trouble of the world and into the good news of the gospel for that very world. So that's my brief definition of what I think biblical preaching is. What I think it isn't, oh, what I think it isn't is to be co-opted by anything other than the kingdom of God and use a pulpit to, to advertise or market for any political party, any political cause, any human prejudice, uh, defeating any anger. I mean, the pulpits of today are, so, are being so uh, prostituted toward making groups of people like us and think that we're on their side. At times, I, I have students even say to me, uh, boy, when I go to chapel, I mean, I hear things that, you know, I walk out saying, I, I don't agree with that. This, this is horrible. I feel violated by this. I, and I say to them, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most dangerous news there is because it will, it will attack any idea you have that does not flow from God. It will attack any principality or power that is not rooted in the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. So anytime I open the Bible, I am violated because the Bible is always interpreting me as I try to live in this very culture, and it's painful at times. And I keep saying, this is how the gospel works. Mm. Yeah, and I think some of it is the, the ability to help them see that it is functional it is practical for your day-to-day life and existence. And you used to say, if I have got you down correctly, but you would say to work and explain the trouble and the challenges that they face on an emotional level as well, get their yeah. emotions up and then plan yeah. for a collision with the gospel. Yeah, the, the front door of change is not usually through our reason. It is through... Uh, partly our emotions, but even more what I call that desiring and imagining capacity. I mean, I I could do to lose 10 pounds. Okay, how am I going to be motivated for that? Is it that I don't know whether to eat this bag of potato chips or that stock of salary? I mean, is it really the logic of weight loss that I'm failing at? No, It, it is this sense of I desire deeply to be a more healthy person than, than what I actually am. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, and the work of preaching is to give people a preferred picture of their future so that we draw them and we're drawn by our desiring and our imagining and our wanting. Now, it has to be a rational path. So it's not like we leave reason behind, right. but you don't reason people into a better future you actually help them see that future and then their rationale kicks in to begin to realize, wow, God really is a path to this by these transforming practices and habits. Hmm. Well, you, you taught us a lot then as well. And I always use your process for sermon prep. Maybe it wasn't intensely every time, but I would say a good 80% of the time. 
And I was a planner ahead. I worked on it way ahead. I had it done early in the week and, and I would let it periodically sit and rest and then come back to it. And then for me, the icing on the cake was I would do, I would use PowerPoint for my visual and I, I rarely used a video sometimes. Most of the time I would use a still because I felt like it had to move at a different pace than what the culture did. You know, I've always wanted to teach people to preach so that when they got up on Sunday morning, they were telling people what they saw and had experienced more than reading them what they wrote. Because those are two very different ways of of communicating. And uh, my book, Preaching the Story That Shapes Us, is basically the seminary class that you took from Mm -hmm. me. And and when my day job wouldn't let me teach homiletics anymore, I just sat down and decided I need to write this out. So I've written those 10 processes. And I have people all the time tell me, I use seven of your 10 steps. I use eight of your 10 steps. But what it is, it, it lets us... Instead of starting in reason, it lets us start in imagination. It lets us experience things around the text, and it causes and it forces us to go look at the world that that text is going into and ask key questions about it. Yeah, they were great. There were great questions. What's what's the problem here? What yeah. what is God doing about it? What are people doing in response to what God is yep, doing yep. about it? And you were right. I remember thinking, you know, you said most of the time in here, people are, are in trouble. And I yep, thought, yep. seriously? But as you start preaching and you start really digging into scripture and, you know, you go, oh, my goodness, he was right. We are yep. in serious trouble, yep, the even reason, in scripture. The only reason <laughs> we have the Bible is that people were in trouble. chronically and so um yeah that was always um you know i always got a good chuckle out of that sort of you know what i mean i want to chuckle at people's problems and trouble and and all that kind of thing but what would you say is the number one number one or two whatever you want to do here piece of advice that you would give to ministry leaders today in regards to preaching i would say Study several different pathways to sermon formation mm. until you find one that seems to fit in your body and experience. Paul Scott Johnston has done some good work in the four pages of the sermon. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. pa- uh, Paul Scott Wilson. I'm sorry, not Johnson, Wilson. Okay. Fred Craddock has done some good work in that area. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my book, uh, Preaching the Story Shapes, this is basically a pattern that I developed while I was going through a, a doctorate of homiletics program at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I began to ask the question, how, you know, what are the pathways that actually engage and involve my imagination, my experiences, but also explore the experiences that people are having today so that I can root this in a real world that exists in that, in that congregation. So I, I would say that's one of them. Uh, study some patterns and stuff until you find some that that uh, that fit you. A second one, I, I would say for pastors is start that process early. And it's a part of how, um, and you would know, I won't go through the lecture, but yeah. start that imaginative process early in the week. Because if you can get the kind of work done on Monday, Tuesday, early in the week, if you let that just sit there by itself for a day or two, 
it'll start growing legs. You'll start seeing pictures of that happening in a hospital visit. Pieces of that text will start coming out in uh, sitcoms that you watched or a billboard that you saw or a song that you heard. It'll show up in conversations. And what you'll realize is this text is invading the world that I'm living in, which is the same world my people are living in. It's invading that world, and I'm understanding in deeper ways the pictures of, of how humans are in this kind of trouble and the need that we have for the transforming power and grace of God to help us. Then I'd come back to it at the end of the week, and it had fermented in my own life and experience, and it had even become what I would call more local. It had a chance to live in our town for a few days before I got up to preach it. When you start when you start sermon prep at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> no, no, it ain't. Or or downloading off the internet. Yeah, and you know, internet stuff. It might be good, but it's not local. It uh, it's not in the community that you're working on forming, and it's not out of the theological mindset that you have about what this church is and what this church looks like. So the importation of that which is foreign to the congregation week after week after week does not have the long-term effect of forming congregational identity in a good way. Doesn't mean that we don't consult those folk as a part of it, look at the good stuff they have. I always pick up a few great ideas and stuff, but I really think the best um, you know, the best tomatoes are the ones you grow in your own backyard. And, mm. you know, yeah. there's something about eating those tomatoes that's different. And, and, I, and I want pastors to somehow find a way back into what I call the journeyman, journeywoman work of, mm -hmm. of sermon preparation and formation for their, for their congregation. Yeah, and you always encouraged us to make sure that the person giving the sermon incarnates in yeah. that sermon yeah. somewhere. You've yeah. got to show up like, yeah. like you did go walk the dog around. The, it's not just that the dog walked in the yeah. neighborhood, yeah. but you walked the dog in the neighborhood yeah. and, you know, places where you were challenged or, you know, I've even said, well, I'm not fond of this idea about you. I, you know, just, yeah. To be honest, I think, I think it's the sixth of those 10 steps, which is pausing to let the text do me good. It, mm -hmm. it, is that, it is that moment as a minister where you pull your life up to the table of this text and you ask the hard question, how am I in trouble in the same way these people are in trouble? How do I experience the grace of God in the way that is offered in this text? When I feed myself from the text that I'm going to feed my people with, that's where the energy and passion for a sermon actually comes from for a pastor. It's not that I've got a cool sermon because I really think it's cool. It's that I got help from the word of God at this very point, And I'm excited to share that with you. It doesn't mean that my sermon is all about me because right. it may be that I'm not talking about me anywhere in the sermon. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But it does mean that I have a visceral emotional connection to the help that I got in the process of preparing that sermon. And it's going to leak out in energy and excitement and good news in every way. 
So, so your process that you developed that you capture in this book uh, and that you taught at NTS, how did you discover that? Well, I, you know, I, I have to admit it, it is a, it's a compilation of having done three word, three years of doctoral studies and looking at probably 20 or 30 different sermon formation practices and habits. Mm-hmm. And I just sat down one day and I started thinking, okay, what is the order in which you might move through all of these habits that's there that helps you to be creative, ask the hard questions, consult the scholars that are there, figure out what, you know, how do I, not only how do I get to some, how do I get to having something to say, but how do I get it heard? What are the communication techniques by which this particular message might be heard by these particular people? So I I kind of played with it for a while and I, I came down to those 10 and the first two or three are highly uh, they're highly imaginative and creative and exploratory. Not everybody needs to do all three of those, but they're all three different exercises. And I find that some people's creativity connects with one of those better than the others. Then in the middle, there's that work where you're doing good personal work. You're doing great commentary work, exegetical work, theological work. In the middle of it, you're really working on finally coming to that. What, what, it, what is it that this text really is saying? For the problem with most pastors is once they arrive at the point of what the text is saying, they go write it all down and they're going to deliver to the people the words that they wrote down. They're taking their homework to the congregation. I think there is a last two or three moves that is, okay, now I need to work just as hard on how to get this heard. The sermon is not completed on my lips. The sermon is completed in their ears. So how do I, how does this penetrate the ears and get to the heart and imagination and to work just as hard on that? And in the eighth, I think the eighth step is look at all the different sermon forms. I think I taught you guys eight, nine different sermon forms are out there from oh, a lot. the straw man to the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, a lot, know. a lot of forms. Now the, the, why do you feel that this process and this mechanism for offering the gospel is as relevant today as, as it was, say, when I heard it first, not too many years ago. <laughs> I, I, I think because it's canonic, it, it goes through a human being. This isn't an accurate, this, this isn't writing an academic paper. It's not reading what 15 people have said about something. Thing, summarizing that and putting in a format, formation and then delivering it. I mean, that is a purely academic enterprise of the delivery and summary of information. Preaching is a living action. It is a spirit-breathed action. It is the moment in which the God-breathed text penetrates a human-breathing instrument and moves through that instrument my imagination, my theological education, my knowledge of the community that I live in, my human experiences, the news that I'm hearing, the music that I listen to, it, that text moves through this body and then gets delivered from a body to another body again uh, 
as a spirit-breathed action of God. So that the same way the spirit breathes into the, the writers of scripture, spirit breathes again in this moment of the translation of scripture into a culture by way of a, of a preacher, a human being. So I, I, for, for me, it's that, it's that necessity that sermonic work is incarnational work. Mm-hmm. And sermon, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us again. In, in that very act. It's a sacred act. I, I've often thought preaching is a sacramental act just, just as much as the Lord's Supper would be sacramental. It is blood and body engaged in the transmission of grace that is there. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that is the sacramental piece. That also is highly canonic that you are yeah. offering yourself as a symbol and a sign of the reality of the work of Jesus in the world. Yeah. And, and offering that to your, to your listeners. And it's, it's priestly work. You know, Mm -hmm. the the priest is the one who stood in that gap between God and the people and, and allowed there to be this connection and this interchange. And it's holy work to be done. You know, I, I found great joy in doing it. I've also found it to be one of the heaviest burdens that any human being can carry. Who in the world do I think I am to walk into a pulpit and declare the word of the Almighty God? I'm, I think we we need to live under the humility of mm-hmm. that awesome responsibility, so that we never believe that it's us that's doing this, but this is the activity of God through us. And if that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. It ought to humble you, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. Who do I think I am? I think I want to just bounce back to one last thing, and that is about getting it heard and not just said. And and I've I've likened it this way: that you can speak the most eloquent French on the planet, but if your congregation is fluent in Spanish, yeah. oh well. So yeah. can you say more about getting it heard and not just yeah. said? You know, uh, different truths take different forms. You know, I, I, I talk, talk to the classes about having a homiletical garage, probably a seven or eight bay garage of these different sermon formats. A three-point sermon is a real format. You know, the good news, bad news. The Lowry's mm-hmm. Loop is a format. The Straw Man is a format. The biographical narrative is a format. There are a lot of different ways that biblical truth can be given. I I think when it is that I find myself having something to say, I'll realize, does this trouble have two or three levels that I need to build a a flow of the story that visits these three levels of trouble that the character's in before I come to the point where I declare the aha moment of this this is how God responds to this? Or is this just basically the narrative of a human being who is experiencing life in this way, and then there is the entrance of of the Christ into this story that begins to move this person's life in a very different way than it was going before. So in the book, I I try to talk a lot about how, how you wrestle with the narrative structure that you will use to deliver this. And 
you know, I, I always talk about that fact that every story, every story actually has the same plot line. You know, mm-hmm. it's a normal world. There's a hint of trouble. Okay, now we've gotten into trouble. The trouble that we worried about has truly come to us. And then that storyline either goes, we get help or we learn something. And if it doesn't go that way, the whole thing ends in a tragedy. But mm-hmm. if we get help and learn something, our world has changed. And, you know, that's the plot line of Andy of Mayberry, Friends, <laughs> I Love Lucy, name every sitcom that's had a long-running life. It is the plot line of every one of them because that's how human life and that's how stories work. Yes. And then from there, you bring the gospel in to address the trouble and then move it forward from there. Yeah. And with the gospel, we get help or we learn something and it changes our Uh, world. Yes, it does. (laughs) Yes, it does. Well, I just want to thank you so much for being willing to come on the on the podcast and to share uh, your your wisdom and it's just it just is good stuff, very practical, yeah. usable, pastoral uh, preaching and all of it. And I just I really appreciate that you're willing to take the Margie, time. Margie, I only have I only have one disappointment. We didn't use the word crabby the whole time. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness, no, we didn't. Oh well. But- the reality is, if we don't do some of these kind of things, that's how we become crabby. It is. It, it is. I know. I know. I so love the I'm, name of the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah, it's designed to be a little provocative, make you yep. think for a minute, because crabby pastors are out there. And I've been crabby. I don't know. Were you ever crabby pastor? Yeah, I wouldn't say crabby pastors are out there. I would say crabby pastors are in here. <laughs> <laughs> in here? Yeah, we just have to realize when we are and when we're not. So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again. And, and I really appreciate, I appreciate this a lot. Thanks so much. It's been a joy to talk with you. Hey, thanks for listening. It is my deep desire and passion to champion issues of sustainability in ministry and for your life. So I'm here to help. I stepped back from pastoral ministry and I feel called to help ministry leaders uh, create and cultivate sustainability in their lives so that they can go the distance with God and whatever plans that God has for you. I would love to help. I would consider it an honor. And in all things, make sure you connect to these sustainability practices, you know, so that you don't become the crabby pastor.